Hi, hello, bonjour, and namaste. This is Out of the Clouds, a podcast at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. And I'm your host, Anne Mulatalar. Today, I am joined by Nadine Kelly, the host of podcast Yogi MD. Nadine and I got to know each other when we both were doing the Akimbo Podcast Fellowship, which might have changed names since then, a program that was offered by Seth Godin and Alex De Palma. I got to know Nadine across a couple of other workshops as well. I keep on taking more of them. <laughs> and so today we explore first the reasons that led her to make a major shift in her career, leaving medicine behind to get into a new career, first as a yoga teacher and then coach and podcaster. I'm very interested and impressed how Nadine went out to look for her clients, as she calls them, her wise women. And we then talk about the importance of yoga and mental health, limiting beliefs and old narratives, which she sees crop up in her own life and of course in her clients. She talks about her motto, no strain, no gain. And she talks about the joy she finds in podcasting, giving her listeners her heart. I greatly enjoyed getting to know Nadine during this interview. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So without further ado, I give you Nadine Kelly. Nadine Kelly, it's such a pleasure to meet you. Welcome to Out of the Clouds. It is lovely to meet you and to see your lovely face this morning, Anne. <laughs> Thank you. So it's strange. I feel like I really know you. Your voice has been in my ears. I have seen your name appear on my computer screen many, many times during mm -hmm. my multiple Akimbo workshops. I was trying to think when is the first time that your name popped up? And I should have actually searched that on my computer. But so I wonder how many years has it been since you started working with the Akimbo workshops? 2018. Ah, Anyways, I need to give you a proper introduction. And as I was saying to you offline, I am going to start by taking a leaf from Dr. Gloria Latimore's book, whose interview of you on your website is really glorious. So you are a yoga teacher, a health coach, an akimbo coach, a drummer, and a physician. But I mentioned this last because you made the choice to leave medicine And I would love for you to start there and tell our listeners how you came to leave this career and move on to a new path. I was not happy, to be really frank and to be able to admit that out loud after really coming to terms with that feeling and, and accepting it, even though the misconception is Just because you study something for a very long time, it should mean that you fall in love with the thing that you do. And the, the problem with that model is, yes, I did invest a lot of time, energy and money and delayed a lot of gratification. But because I had blinders on and because I believed that when I got to the next thing, I would finally feel happy that kept me going, it never happened. I would get to the next thing and I still wouldn't feel happy. 
And I finally got to the position where I was practicing and I was not happy and it was not getting better and it was starting to take a toll. And it took my doctor intervening, thanks to my husband, and being diagnosed with depression for me to really stop and have a reckoning with my body and my mind and what I wanted to do for the next several years because I was only 40 at that time. Wow, that's it's impressive and it's wonderful to hear you speak so directly about this because I feel like it's something that's very hard to put into words and to put out into the world and, and discuss openly. How did you find the new path that took you to yoga and, and health coaching? I had been practicing yoga and martial arts at the same time when I was later in my practicing years of medicine, because those were ways for me to connect my mind and body and to, quite frankly, maintain my sanity. And I found yoga because of my mom. My mom is a breast cancer survivor of well over 20 years, and she needed a practice that was a gentle modality that would be physically and mentally and emotionally nourishing because she was not the kind of person who, to go to a group and sit down and talk about her feelings. So that was the way for her to process how she was feeling and how she could heal. And having me there with her was also very important. So we did that together. And that's how I got into yoga. And I continued yoga myself. So I started with that gentle practice with my mother. And it was a gentle hatha type class as well. And to be quite honest, I was bored after a little while. So while my mother stayed in that class, I decided to, yeah, I wanted to still practice yoga, but I wanted something a little bit more physically challenging. So I did that for a while. And then when I was done practicing, which I didn't completely know at the time, but that was that was the end. I decided to deepen my practice of yoga to figure out what I was going to do next. And so I wandered into our local yoga studio. They happened to have a teacher training program starting and they convinced me that it was a great idea, even if I didn't want to teach to deepen my practice and understand it and understand myself better. And so I went for it halfway through the practice. I experienced a yoga practice by a lovely, mature woman, and I had fireworks and light bulbs go off for me because I said, this is where I can apply my training and my desire to serve the community and to make a difference and to really help people and to help a population very specifically who may not be receiving the benefits of yoga due to intimidation or the way yoga was being promoted, which is athletics. So I knew that I wanted to teach mature bodies of various physical abilities to maintain health and work on prevention, because that was something that bothered me during my time practicing as well. Too much sickness model. I wanted to be more in the prevention world. And so I thought this was a great way to do it. And I wanted to 
see what I was doing and be with people. I was buried behind a microscope for such a long time, thinking I was not a people person, but I am, just in small settings. And so I started going out into the community and looking for my people, my mature women, my wise women, as I call them, because they weren't really coming to the yoga studios. I tried, but they weren't really coming. So I went to find them. I went to find them in assisted living centers as well. I also wound up working at a fitness facility that was geared towards more mature people. And during my time there, they decided to incorporate a program, which was a health initiative program for women. They asked me if I wanted to be a life coach and I jumped at the chance. So did my training to become a health coach so that I could do the life coach piece for this program because they had a nutritionist and a fitness person and they needed the life coach person for behavioral changes. And so right up my alley, because I love the whys. I'm not crazy about the hows. I'm more about the whys. So I decided to do that program. I did it for a couple of years at least. And I simply loved it. And it allowed for this evolution to this coach that I am becoming and the doctor that I'm now, even though I'm retired and I don't have my white coat on anymore, I'm finally the doctor I'm proud of. That's so beautiful. And I could see it in your face and in your energy as you were talking about this. And it does seem like coaching was going to find you and that you have a really natural ability also to make people feel at ease which is wonderful for someone who was already sort of self-naming, not a people person earlier in your life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) One of the things you said uh, a few moments ago resonates super strongly with me. You said about the yoga practice, the reason why you were doing it is you were using it for your sanity, which, you know, in the context of knowing that you did suffer mental illness, Uh, and and depression makes sense. But now you are a teacher and you work with specific populations. Can you speak to me about the benefits or the the links between yoga and, and mental wellness, mental health? To me, it's almost more important than the physical. The physical is a gateway for you, for us, in my opinion, to develop, to cultivate more of a mental and emotional awareness of ourselves, to get to know ourselves better, to find this quiet, to find this space, to observe without judgment our narratives, to question our narratives, what's serving, what's not serving. And so that's why I've learned so much over the time I've been teaching yoga to mature bodies, it doesn't matter that if you do the warrior two as is pictured in the book or on the Instagram photo or on the mountaintop, that's not what matters. Yes, movement is very important. And the practical side of me brings a lot of that into my classes because I do find something that I was missing during my training, I liked 
the why am I doing this? As I mentioned at the top of our discussion. And so I wanted to give that to the people I serve and I encounter in yoga because if it makes sense to you, then you're more empowered to continue a sustainable practice. And if you understand why you're doing something, you can also decide when it doesn't serve, when you need to back off or when you need to modify. You just get to know yourself a lot better. I went to see a new doctor a few weeks ago and we were talking about the benefits of yoga and Pilates. And I was telling her over the course of the pandemic and and the lockdowns, I tried lots of different things because I like to be able to pick from a variety of different practices, even though I have my own practice. And so I was about to sell her and her patients a really very affordable 15 euros, fantastic Pilates practice, uh, 21 days Mm -hmm. available on daily on. But then she stopped me and she said, oh, but that only works for people who actually have an understanding of how their body works. And that stopped me right in my Mm. tracks because, of course, I have Mm -hmm. my blinders on thinking Mm. that everybody understands the things that I understand now, which is absolutely not the case. I remember those early days in London when I was practicing, I remember one of the teachers keeping on saying, and take your shoulders down. And I did not understand it because I probably spent my life like this. Uh (laughs) I had never understood there was supposed to be done my back. That was... I was 25 and clueless. And it was very funny because now I remember that I, it puts things in perspective. So I guess that's also one of the beautiful things about yoga. It's that body-mind connection. You were talking about this actually in the interview with Dr. Latimore about that body-mind connection and, and that self-knowledge. Mm-hmm. You also just mentioned the importance of the narrative. And I listened to this word narrative very differently as I am training to become a life coach (laughs) with Martha Beck and looking at my thoughts Mm -hmm. and looking at people's thoughts is starting to be very different. How has that impacted you in the way that you practice as well and and teach and, and coach? That's a wonderful question. I can give you an example because I'll never forget it. I, I remember standing in the room, we were It was a class I was teaching. It was about 20 women in chairs. I I teach a lot of chair yoga. And we were doing arm circles. We were doing arm circles. And we were also then transitioning from the arm circles to lifting like upward salute, reaching both arms up, uh, reaching straight for the ceiling to lengthen the sides of the body. And One of the women caught my eye and she was struggling and she was trying to lift her left arm past her physical capacity and she was grimacing. So I gently walked over to her and I just kind of whispered or I don't even think I necessarily said anything. I might have even just kind of gently put my hand on her shoulder and I might have whispered something like, you don't have to lift that arm all the way up. Okay. So <laughs> later on in the class, I said generally to everybody, when you are 
working on a physical posture that doesn't work for your body and it's causing actual pain, not a challenge because challenge is important when you're practicing yoga. It's not, you know, some people tend to say it's just stretching, which I can't stand. So no, it's not just stretching. It is no strain, no gain, not no pain, no gain. And so I encouraged everybody in the class to examine, not just physically, when you're causing yourself pain, but how do you use that mindset and that narrative you're telling yourself, I have to do this in other areas of your life during the week? So are you forcing yourself to, I don't know, people please, or not setting proper boundaries? So that's that's an example of how I teach. Again, very practical because I think yoga is one of the most beautiful things that's ever happened to me. It's a gorgeous practice and it's it's a lifestyle. It's life affirming. I know myself a ton better because of yoga. And lately I've been examining my own narratives because I know I'm not alone in this. A lot of us have, as we age, so I'm catching myself saying my wise women, I'm a wise woman too. Okay. So yes, I get that. <laughs> I'm a wise woman too. And my body is undergoing changes. And so my nearly 50 year old body is not my 40 year old body. And so back in the day when I could exercise six or seven times a week and, and things would be okay, not so much anymore. So I'm having to make some adjustments and figure out what's healthy for me? What does healthy look like at this stage? Yeah. And just how to take care of myself and not to listen to the old narrative of you should do this. You have to look this way. This real punishing approach that I've always taken and the the super rigid disciplined approach that I've always taken with my physical health has to soften now. I don't have the same body. So that's an area where I'm applying, paying attention and listening, actually stopping and listening to what I'm hearing myself say to myself in the moment when I'm not being compassionate. Yeah, it's super important. It's such a rich area of growth, noticing the thoughts and being very careful when I hear the have tos and the shoulds and should nots. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Learning around limiting beliefs. So you've chosen to train in several different kinds of of yogas, and I am super, super interested in them. How did you find the right programs to train in aqua yoga, chair yoga, and gentle yoga? Because I feel for anybody who's listening, who is interested in developing or discovering these practices, I think it's interesting to to hear how you got to that. I came to the chair yoga training. That's where I started after my yoga teacher training myself several years ago in 2012. And so when I was done, because I knew I wanted to go a non-traditional path as usual, I was a pathologist. I didn't pick the I never picked the most common thing, but at any rate, so I, I kind of almost had to 
teach myself a lot because chair yoga wasn't terribly popular at that time. But then as I was gaining practice and as I was looking for books that, because there were a few books out that I could go to and and see how I could modify certain positions using the chair, what could I do with the chair? I also found a program in Phoenix where I was able to go train with two women who had been very qualified, who had been teaching chair yoga for a long time. I knew as I continued serving my population and paying attention to their needs, I knew then I also wanted to teach yoga in another supportive medium. What were other ways I could find to make yoga accessible to bodies with hip replacements, knee replacements, osteoarthritis, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, scoliosis, hypertension, you name it, heart disease. So I came upon a wonderful teacher, Camilla Nair, who taught aqua yoga, who had developed the program many, many years ago and had only been teaching in the water, uh, aqua kriya yoga. And so I trained with her a couple of times, actually. And I just loved it. I loved that you could offer one of my dearest students who, unfortunately, I'm not near a pool anymore. But when I was teaching a lot of aqua yoga, one of my students had a rare muscular degenerative disease. So she could only practice yoga in the water because she couldn't lift her, her uh, quadriceps were affected. So she couldn't lift her legs. So she couldn't do chair yoga. She could only do that in the water because of the buoyancy. And so, listen, a person like that could receive the benefits of yoga in the water. It's It's one of the things that, one of my happiest, happiest moments as a yoga teacher, as a person, really. That sounds really wonderful. And actually, selfishly, I'd love to do aqua yoga. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my love of water and my love of yoga combined. What's not to love? It's a marvelous practice. Even if you start, if you can get into a pool and you can start on your own, just even doing some sun salutations and some throwing in some warriors in the water or walking through the water in warrior Mm -hmm. one, back and forth. It is so meditative. I remember doing dancer pose quite a few times in water because it just felt Mm. a little bit more supported for, I have challenged ankles. So uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's easier. For, it was really a fun practice for me to do that for a standing pose. <laughs> if you have any recommendations for courses or books that I can then direct some interested listeners to in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. So Camilla Nair is offering Aqua Kriya Yoga teacher training. I noticed because I still get her mm-hmm. newsletters um, online now. Amazing. Hmm. Hmm. That's that's very exciting. Yeah, I, I just. I can't thank her enough for her compassionate, knowledgeable training. That's awesome. I'm really looking forward to looking her up. So I don't know if I want to talk to you now about the podcast or the Akimbo workshops. Maybe you can tell me which came first. The, well, (laughs) I, the, the podcast is a result of joining the original podcast fellowship. Ah. 
okay. That was my first Akimbo no workshop. Way. So I did the fourth one last year. But I mm-hmm. met your um, cohort friend, Dr. Andrea Wojnik. Uh, I can't say her last name. I love her. <laughs> she just says to say Wojnik. So that's how I say it. But <laughs> I feel like yeah. it was just there on the tip of my tongue and I failed. Uh, mm-hmm. Who's a wonderful, wonderful podcast host and, and communications coach. So tell me about how podcasting came to become a, a point of interest for you. Okay. So... <laughs> Evolution. As I became more myself, the person who's supposed to serve in this way, educating wise women and teaching wise women and supporting wise women in community and empowering them to be healthy, no matter what state the physical, the mental, the emotional, it's so personal. It is different at different stages of life. And so I was teaching yoga. I had been doing that life coaching piece for women's health at that club. I loved that part so much because I felt like it was the education piece. I'm a teacher and I love educating and I love explaining and and encouraging you to ask yourself the why question and what makes sense for you. And I found myself in classes as I'm a nerd. So I would in class find myself if I read something like say lower body strength in a clinical trial in women improves cognitive function as well as balance. I get super excited and I would take that article, make copies and bring it to class. Okay. And then I would lead a yoga practice based on that finding. So I wanted more of that. And so the podcasting, it was originally called The Fellowship in 2018 came along and it was generally touted for students at first. And then they said, but we'll take other applications. And so I was very scared. The first time I saw the email, I went ahead and did it anyway. And they accepted my application. And I dove in because this was the perfect medium to start exploring more of the knowledge and having more of the discussion around what health could be. And I've been doing it nonstop now since 2018. And my podcast has evolved as well. I know I keep using that word, but it's a super important word to me. It became this thing where I am impassioned about what health means. It's not the absence of disease. You're not defined by any pathology. But health is more than your body and your mind. And I learned that painful lesson myself because I wasn't paying attention to my emotional and my mental well-being. I was focusing only on the physical. I live in a Western world and it's all about what size your dress is and what the number is on the scale. And that's what I focused on because that's what I had control over at that time. And so it it just wasn't a really well-balanced way to live. And we get this, and this is my belief system, we get this one chance to be here. I knew that practicing pathology, it was painfully obvious. We don't solely do autopsies, but 
did a lot of autopsies, also did, looked at a lot of slides and cases of people who had bad outcomes and they were young. And so you can't do that kind of work and not always in the back of your mind to be aware of our mortality and also aware of the fact that you can't take your days for granted. So I want to live my life fully and I want to encourage women to do the same. And so you're more than your dress size. You're more than the number on the scale. So now my podcast is because I learned this in that health initiative program for women. I explore the six dimensions of health, which are your social well-being, your emotional well-being, your mental well-being, your physical well-being, your intellectual well-being, and your spiritual well-being. And this year I took a really slow, and I'm going to make a little pun here, look microscopic, (laughs) look at each of these dimensions where I took just four principles from each. So slowed it down, pared it back a little bit. And so we looked at social well-being for two months, January and February, where it was four different principles, contributing to community, good communication family responsibility, you know, just to name a few. And so each domain is like that. Two months, four interviews with a person who I feel is a really good model of that aspect of health. So that anyone who's been following my podcast in 2021 can really start to question their own limited beliefs of health. So you have used this medium for the past four years now. How do you feel as a podcaster? Has it changed your life? How do you, how do you find your audience? I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about that. Podcasting has changed my life tremendously. It's not even really about the medium itself. I am finally, I am becoming every day the person I am meant to be here. And I didn't go into, I like I said, I thought podcasting was going to be, I'm providing the information to make women healthy. And it's the art it's, it's an art form. It's allowed me to embrace more of the creative. Now, here's some black and white thinking I had, too, because I remember saying this to people when I was practicing medicine. I'm not a creative person. I don't have a creative bone in my body. And that is so laughable at this point. I almost don't recognize myself. This version versus the 10 years ago, repressed, small, boxed up version of Nadine. Now, it's a metamorphosis. And I feel like I'm doing God's work. This is spiritual work for me. It's more than me. And I get to talk to people I would never get to talk to. I get to learn from the most generous, knowledgeable people. I get to make each episode so special and unique and a gorgeous, intimate conversation. I get to have the classroom that I didn't get. One of the feelings that I hope to evoke that I really work hard to evoke with my podcast is one of when I was in college, 
I remember sitting in, it was at the University of Chicago, these great big halls, lecture halls. And, you know, the lecture halls were cold and filled with students. And the professor would be way in front at a chalkboard talking about age. Yeah, they were using chalk at that time. So he'd be at the chalkboard and with his back to us. And I remember one time having the distinct thought, like, does he know that there are other people here? So I didn't feel that connection I wanted. And so when I record my podcast episodes, when I sit with my guests, what I, the feeling I want to have is we're nerding out in my living room. I love that so much. That's fantastic. Nerding out in my living room. That, I mean, <laughs> that you've totally made my day. Thanks. Thank you. Mine would be more like nerding out You're in my office. And so it's intimate. But it's like a loungy office with lots like, there's like a Shiva Shakti <laughs> stuff. There's art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a Buddha lamp here. Anyways. <laughs> Very. But it's warm. It's warm, it's welcoming, it's intimate. I had to go through a little bit of a discussion with myself too, because, you know, we get into these numbers, right? Number of downloads, number of downloads. And in the last few months, I stopped looking at the downloads because I'm so confident and so, I just feel so much joy at this point with my work, with my podcasting. I feel like I am really stepping outside of my comfort zone and really putting myself out there and giving my listeners my heart that I don't have to worry about the numbers anymore because anybody who wants to come to my living room is welcome. Uh, You just dropped the mic. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. It's great to see that when you are wholeheartedly in yourself, giving all of yourself to projects, then all that matters is the sense of joy and fulfillment that comes from it. And I side with you on that. Damn, I love that podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to come back to Akimbo then. So you Mm. joined, not a student, but you joined the first fellowship. And then tell me what happened. It would have been around the fourth version of podcasting that I was invited back to be a part of the crew to help support the students. Not a coach, but as a supporting cast member. And I remember I was just so excited and honored and like, wow, this is interesting. Okay. So I went for it because it felt uncomfortable, but good. And then the next installment, because I was just being myself, they asked me to come on as a coach. And that is when my adventures in coaching in Akimbo began. From there, I also took as a student, so after podcasting fellowship, I also took the marketing seminar and freelancers workshop at the same time. And this would have been 2019 because I wanted to learn more about my business and how I could 
improve my business acumen, learn more about the marketing so that I could reach the mature women I wanted to reach, how I could do a better job and get more clarity on the way I was presenting my offering as well, especially because it's niche. It's not, it's not as easy because it's not just a matter of straightforward pictures of myself in a yoga studio. That's not how I teach. So I I had to really think about how to present what I was offering to mature women to, again, lower the bar of intimidation and increased understanding of this is what a yoga practice can also look like. That's why I have so many pictures on my website. So I took those two courses and then I also took story skills because each one kind of built on each other. I became curious. Story skills became an opportunity for me to be a better podcaster. How could I become a better interviewer? How could I listen better? And that's where I met Bernadette. In the middle of all of that, I was offered another coaching opportunity to join freelancers. And so I I was stunned. So, okay. So I went in and I did freelancers and then they offered me coaching for creatives workshop. And I did that last, so for the last three months and I've been offered to come back for creatives again, it'll be starting at the end of this month. And I am simply, as I mentioned to you earlier, the doctor I wanted to become more and more. The coaching is evolving. To me, this coaching is all making a lot more sense. I initially went into the health coaching and to become this life coach so I could implement behavioral change, have people think about why they treat themselves the way they do or why they make the choices to really look at their personal habits because there's no such thing as a one size fits all as far as I'm concerned when it comes to taking care of yourself. So the Akimbo coaching has expanded and I feel like I'm really doing this work that I'm meant to do. I'm also supporting health. I had this realization the other day. I'm supporting health in a creative person's life because I'm nurturing their intellectual and emotional and mental well-being so that they can also become the best versions of themselves to raise in Maslow's hierarchy, to become, to go into the improved self-esteem and self-actualization. You know, again, you get this one shot. So how can you be supported in this work that only you can offer in the world to get to this self-actualization point? I'm digesting that. That's really wonderful. And it does tie in with my perception of the work that you do. So for our listeners, I was on the Creatives Workshop in the last three months. So even though you weren't directly my coaching my cohort, <laughs> I saw your name around. <laughs> And you did support me and give me feedback on pieces I was, I was exploring, which was really special. I was wondering if you'd explain to our listeners who don't know what the Akimbo workshops are, just to give them a little bit of context. So the Akimbo workshops are the classroom that I craved. 
It wasn't being passively educated where, you know, I had, was being force fed all this information to memorize. And look, this was my experience. Okay. Maybe other people experience their college and medical school differently, but my experience was a lot of information to just swallow like a fire hose. Now, there was this nerd in me who was just yearning to participate in her learning. I wanted to have a fun classroom. I wanted to have, my daughters went to Montessori classrooms when they were little. And I just loved that environment where you could get up and move and explore and become yourself. And it wasn't just this regimented thing. So when I found a Kimbaland, I was just like a kid in a candy store because it's active learning. It's it's okay if you make a mistake. I didn't grow up like that. And it's, we're not going to give you the answer. There's no such thing as the right answer. One of my favorite people in Akimbo is Scott Perry. And Scott helped me through that initial roadblock where I came in to the marketing seminar and freelancers and I wrote my answers and I wanted an A and I wanted to make sure I was right. And Scott would ask me questions and he would answer me and he wouldn't say, this is correct. And so it was this beautiful shift of, oh my goodness, I'm getting what I want. It's not easy. But I'm questioning the way I think I'm pushing my limits. I'm asking people for feedback. I'm being courageous in writing and expressing myself and not and stumbling my way through to find the thing that's eluding me that I need to figure out. And so that's what a Kimbaland is really like. It's these online platform workshops where it's not somebody lecturing at you. It's not videos that are just at you with the correct answers. It's prompts. It's thoughtful lessons where you engage with the material and you put down your own thoughts. And then you have a magical cohort of people that support you in your learning. It's all active learning. And I feel like I'm on a playground. It does feel a bit like a playground. For me, it took me a while, not that long, actually. The Altambier is so intense. <laughs> it just like breaks through mm-hmm. the barriers in five days. It's true. <laughs> Mind you, I did really, yeah, I, That's on I my did radar. about 25 hours a week into it. So it was really <laughs> like I really deep dived. I was actually writing about it in a, in a blog post a few weeks back. I was reflecting on the knowledge in, that I've acquired as a, as a grown-up since I started with the Alt-MBA, with the yoga teacher training, with the mindfulness meditation two-year training with Tara Brack and Jack Cornfield, and the other 40 workshops I've taken. I don't know where I've put that, but clearly I've found time with it. So I find that the way that online learning is changing our opportunities and our interactions, mm-hmm. offline learning is going to have to shift massively. And I'm very interested in not just the future of work, but yeah, the future of learning. I wish somebody had told me earlier in my life that adult learning, continuous education was a possibility. 
I mean, it's one of the biggest joys in my life. I'm not, listen, I just, yeah. I, I just joined the copywriting workshop. Yes. The better version. <laughs> now I do use copy and writing much more now than I did before. So when that email landed in my inbox, it felt fated the same way as the day that I saw for the first time the email about the podcast fellowship. So speaking about that, you did do a fantastic interview of Seth Godin, the father of Akimbo on, on your podcast. And I want to mention it because it's an excuse to put it in the show notes <laughs> so people can go out and listen to it. It was a really beautiful interview. Thank you. It was one of my proudest moments and it was full circle because the reason why I did have the trust to step into the podcasting fellowship is because it was offered at that time by Alex De Palma, who is a just good people, period, check, okay? And Seth Godin. I had been reading Seth's blogs for seven years until then, religiously. So I knew of him. And so that's why when that email landed as a promotion in one of his blogs, I said, okay, this is, all right, this is an opportunity. I'm afraid, but I'm going to do this. So Seth was very, and I don't want to ruin it because if your listeners go and listen, what I wrote to Seth in the beginning and, and said to him in the beginning is exactly why I had to have him on my podcast to thank him. Oh, that's beautiful. The magic of podcasting is that I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know Seth. I don't want to say he's not that big in Europe, but I don't think he's as big in Europe as he is in North America, at least not back then. And I'm going to credit my friend, Anna Sue for sending me a couple of episodes of, of the Tim Ferriss show. And I was on holiday on my own in Thailand and it started raining as it does sometimes in Thailand. <laughs> it felt like the heavens had opened and all I had to do was to listen to podcasts. And I came across his interview with Tim Ferriss. I think it was the first one. And there was something so generous about what he talked about that I went to the show notes. I just looked up the books he recommended and I fell in love with them. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I sort of, you know, followed the breadcrumbs and... And, and found the blog and, and everything else. Magic of podcasts yes. and show notes. Yes. Which has been your favorite course so far? I kind of want to know because I'm a nerd just Ooh. like you. Oh my goodness. That's a tough, tough question because they've all done different things, but it's a real toss up between... As a student, story skills and the podcasting workshop, the marketing seminar was absolutely a pivotal point in my lifelong learner journey. But I don't know if it was necessarily my favorite simply because I worked so hard as well as in freelancers. But where I felt the most untethered creative joy in learning to become, embrace the fact that I am an artist, story skills and podcasting have taught me that I'm an artist. I am an artist. 
Amen. <laughs> that's, uh, that's wonderful because I am looking at the drum kit behind you <laughs> on my screen. So this is the perfect transition for you to tell me about your musical journey. Thank you. So that the musical aspect of it took place, as usual, again, my mom says I'm a late bloomer. And so it was at 42 that I picked up the drums. So it's only been uh, almost eight years. Yeah, almost eight years. The funny thing about the drumming is I took piano lessons as a child and for a long time. That teacher was very unpleasant. She did a lot of yelling. Yeah, she did a lot I've, of yelling. I've had one of those, yeah. Yeah, and we did that for a long time. And as a matter of fact, when I was 13 and, and that teacher stopped uh, teaching, she became ill. I have never touched a keyboard or a piano ever since. And even if I walk into a musical store or I see, you know, a piano, like I don't ever want to put my fingers on a keyboard ever again. But I wanted to participate in music. And so it's really cute. My my daughters are super, super important to me. And so we went to see a very silly movie when they were kids. We used to go to movies a lot. And it was called Hop. It was a terrible movie. It was anim- half animated, half human. And the reason why I wanted to take them to see it is because I saw the preview and the preview was the bunny playing the drums. And when I saw the bunny playing the drums, I said, I'm going to go watch that movie as a grown woman with the guise of taking my kids because I want to see the bunny play that solo. How ridiculous, right? But there was something in me that childlike that wanted to have fun with the learning process. And so when I was 42, I walked into a music store in the neighborhood and felt silly. That's when I started my drum journey. And that has become super, super different with time too. I've gone through a few teachers. Yeah. That's awesome. I have to tell you on Christmas Eve, I want to say, I I signed up for the Disney Channel. (laughs) This is six months ago. I'm not kidding. And you know why? Why? Because the new movie Soul from Pixar and Disney was being released. And it was about a piano player. Yeah. I knew in that instant, I was like, oh my God, this is not for kids. This is for me. Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. the film is absolutely magical. It's gorgeous. And it was the wonderful Jean-Baptiste who did the, all of the, the musical arrangements and, and the scoring of it. It was, oh. Mm-hmm. So did you ever see that TV show called Heroes? No. Okay. There was a really fantastic villain in it. And his thing is that he could open people's brains and get their talents. And so there's a part of me that always thought, he's really mean. But if I could <laughs> open up someone's head and be a jazz <laughs> keyboard player, I would be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had some disappointing teachers at mm. important crossroads in my life mm. as, a, as a pianist. And that's why I quit. I did 10 years of classical and I was good. My previous teacher thought I was going to be a concert pianist. Mm. But she stopped teaching and I was handed over to the Conservatory of Music in Geneva. And the new teacher hated everything I did. Oh, gosh. She that's just like so literally like sapped all of the joy and passion out of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am just now learning to accompany myself on the piano and getting back into it. That's yeah. wonderful. 
Yeah. But so listen, I am super impressed by the music that you're composing for your podcast. So can you tell us about that collaboration and, and tell us a bit about your daughters? Because they sound pretty magic. They are magical. I'm, I'm not biased at all. <laughs> no. Sure. <laughs> so my eldest is, and not that you can distill anyone's personality, but she is more of the logical Renaissance scientific woman. Okay. And my youngest is, my, and this is another thing my mother said. My mother said to me one time, if we knew better at the time and times were different, you would be like Lizzie, the artistic, creative. She writes, she's musical. Yeah, she just likes to create. And she's this great critical thinker. She's well read and she thinks outside the box. She is the, the artist that I would have been. Yeah. And I am becoming. It's not too late. And so the musical collaboration came about because when I first started podcasting, I knew because I love music so much, I wanted the music to be an intimate part of the podcast. But at the time, we didn't have the means to go record somewhere, you know, my percussion and her guitar. So she had been playing around on GarageBand with some music and she had made this piece. And so she casually said to me, oh, I have this. And so I listened to it and I said, oh my God, I'm going to use this for my podcast music. And it was fine because it satisfied the intention, which was to make it personal from me, from us. I didn't want stock music or free royalty music. I wanted something personal, meaningful, because the podcast feels personal and meaningful. So in 2020, with a lot of time, and because I had found this, I've had one of my other drum teachers, Jesse, was a marvelous teacher. He was with me for five years, but then we both wound up moving. And I was kind of adrift for about a year or so looking for a new teacher. And I found Tim Buell. He lives in Tennessee and it, it, uh, just another wonderful, thoughtful, supportive, smart cheerleader for my he's one of those teachers that I I like and I try to be this type of teacher as well where it's about the student in front of you and how can you make that student shine and so he came at the right time and because he's a professional musician we were able to start talking about he's also a podcaster start talking about what I wanted and and I had this very narrow way of thinking where it had to be everyone sitting in one room recording together. And he said, no, this is online technology so much better now. And he said, and I would recommend recording the different aspects of the song in pieces. So I, I sat down on my drum kit and just played around one voice at a time with some rhythms. I started to imagine what I wanted it to be because, again, very intentional. I wanted it to feel warm, but I also wanted it to feel 
wise and welcoming and like Amy Winehouse, just like uh, Anita Baker, these beautiful, deep, chocolatey, sultry singers. And I wanted it to have this smooth rhythm. I love triplets. So I wanted it to have a good triplet feel. I could hear the because I loved vinyl as a kid. So I would love and still love vinyl. So I could I liked putting this. I'm very kinesthetic. So I like putting the needle down on the record and hearing that initial sound that well, that sound that lets you know you're going to listen to a beautiful story in an album. So I wanted those elements. So I was very clear what I wanted. So Lizzie, my daughter, was able to sit and do this just lovely guitar triplet melody. And then she did a separate bass triplet melody. And my niece, who lives in California, has a gorgeous voice. It's that deep. She's only, she's 16, but she has that beautiful, deep, rich voice that I wanted. So I sent her as we created the layers. So as Tim added the percussion and then he added Lizzie's guitar and he added a few more elements, I was able to send that to my niece, Maya. Maya listened and then came up with the composition of her humming because I didn't want any words. I wanted it to be humming or oohs and ahs. That's That's what I gave her. She came back with it and Tim put everything together, produced, added a a few elements that enhanced and made it rich. And that's my podcast music. And now, because we started that collaboration together and music looks different to me now, I don't have to be in a band because I'm not going to be in a band. At least I don't think so. But I can use my percussion as fun, creation investigation. We've actually started making more music. So now I'm collaborating with Tim when I have a project. As a matter of fact, this morning, no, last night I was editing an episode and I said, "Mm, I need music here and I need it to be very vibey in nature and I need it to sound like this, but I didn't have it. So I sent a message to Tim. I told him what I wanted. He composed something, sent it back to me. So now I feel like it's more of the art that I want. It's more of the personal touches of peace. I love museums too, Anne. And I feel like I'm actually painting pictures with sound. That makes so much sense to me, especially right this minute. I'm launching next month a loving kindness meditation course. Mm. Because for someone like myself who spent so much of my life actively pursuing a music career, I just want to say, (laughs) I really threw myself on a lot of stages when I was younger. I haven't tried to bring music more into my life or my projects. And I think that it's because despite my creativity in other people's businesses, I have a creative mind in business, but somehow... It needed to be separate in my mind. And I don't know why. I think Mm. for the podcasting workshop, I know why I didn't try to produce the music myself. Because I thought, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to start spending all my time on the music and I won't Mm. release the podcast. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I could see how that could be a detriment. But I haven't tried since. So thank you so much for your example. In today's episode with Bernadette, I really loved the fact that you make it almost like parenthesis in the way that you edit your, your interview, right? You, you frame it. So I think your museum image is very 
adapted to the situation. Thank you. Mm. That's lovely. You did it. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask, because most things that we do are, are online nowadays, you do offer Zoom classes, am I correct? Yes. Yes, so, primarily now. Yes. So can people find find you on your website? So the site is yes. yogimd.com. Yogimd.net. .net, my mistake. That's okay. Is it easy for the, for anyone to sign up? So it's I'm offering currently three classes because it, it has to be on demand, right? If I have the demand, then I will definitely have the class. So right now it is on Tuesdays a class where I call it floor yoga, but we do get up and down off of the floor. So we use the mat. And then on Wednesdays, I have two chair yoga classes. And all of that information is on my website. That's wonderful. Thank you. So if that's okay, I'm going to move to some of my favorite questions for all of my podcast guests. And I would love to start with what is your favorite word? But I want to Add the color, because um, I think that not everybody understood it. I need to give context. Mm. What is a favorite word that you would consider tattooing on yourself and living with for a period of time? Evolution. Yes, you, it did come up a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. When I was in medical school, I had a wonderful teacher who said... We were all in our short white coats. We were in a huge hall. And he said that one of the things about being a doctor is to commit to being a lifelong learner. At that time, I didn't know what that meant. I just thought it meant I'm going to have to read journals for the rest of my life and keep memorizing things. But as I've gotten older, lifelong learner has become a lot more precious to me. It means that I am a I'm active. It means that I'm curious. It means that I uh, question myself. I make sure I'm not participating or partaking in, and I'm aware of when I am falling into the trap of cognitive distortions, black and white thinking, when I'm being inflexible. I challenge myself. I make myself uncomfortable. I'm comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that Life is evolving. Things change. And if I'm willing and open to change, then I will continue to learn. Thank you so much for that. That's really wonderful. Mm. Now, this is a tough question for most people. Mm. (laughs) What song best represents you? Yeah, I hated that question. And because I love music so much. (laughs) For a while. and, And it still sticks because it reminds me of change and loss. And I love it. Sting is my favorite artist. And one of my favorite songs is Why Should I Cry For You. Beautiful. So what or who did you want to be when you were a kid? I wanted to be a doctor Ah. since I was five. Oh my God, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, well, at least, you know, you pursued your childhood dream. I did it. 
I did it. I have no regrets because I wouldn't be here today if I didn't do that. What would you say to your younger self if you could send yourself a message? Be kind. I was not nice to myself for a very, 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 very long time. What is the best advice you've ever been given? Be yourself because everyone else is taken. The Dr. Seuss quote. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's such a good one. Thank you. What book is next to your bed or on your desk? (laughs) This is a great question. Okay. I have two books right now that are on my desk. The one has been here for a very, very long time. It's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm. It changed my life. Stephen Covey's work just changed, changed, changed. I'm going to cheat. That's actually three. The Creativity Leap by Natalie Nixon. And I just finished Why We Sleep. Oh, that sounds super nerdy and fun. Who's it by? Matthew Walker. So So he explains the importance of sleep. And oh my goodness. Yeah. All three years. I'm looking at the three books on my desk right now. And they're all dog-eared and... Yeah, because I go back and I look at the passages that I've outlined to think about them again. That Mm -hmm. sounds fantastic. And that last one, I really want it. (laughs) I'm a big believer in sleep. Big, big, big. It's so important. I didn't realize just how important until until I read that book. And who is a person that you think everyone should know about? It could be Anybody, an activist, a writer, musician? Well, from, I'm going to pick, well, Stephen Covey, he, that book was written decades ago. And so, you know, it's very popular. People know about it. But I think that the author of The Creativity Leap, Natalie Nixon, is a remarkable person. I interviewed, she's, I actually interviewed her for my podcast because to me, one of the main reasons I love Natalie is because she embodies, after I read her book, Curiosity is a verb. Yeah. That is a strong concept. Yeah. So Natalie Nixon, I think people should really know more about her. And the Matthew Walker book. We we have very little respect for sleep as a society, and it's to our detriment. It really is. He it was solid studies, scientific backed information, but it's good storytelling too. So it makes it very, feel very personal. Just feel like he's just shoving information at you. So now I respect sleep a ton more. Yeah. I feel like I got a little bit geeky on sleep when I read Ariana Huffington's book, um, Thrive, back when it came out. But a couple of years later, I was really close to burnout. And I remember for the first time in my life, because I'm a really big sleeper, For the first Mm. time in my life, I could not sleep more than three hours a night. Mm. And it was frightening. And now I have a deal with myself that if I haven't slept well or not sufficiently, I am not allowed to make decisions. I'm not allowed to make or have um, important conversations. That's very smart. And I'm not allowed to buy anything. Mm -hmm. Very, very smart. Very smart. At the end of the day, I understand that if I'm 
without enough sleep, I am not a functioning human being Mm -hmm. and I should be not allowed to touch anything. Yeah, no one is. The nonsense about, oh, I can thrive on four to five hours of sleep and, and people are bragging about that. That's nonsense. Just nonsense. Also what helps upgrading bed and really, really helps when you start yeah. treating it as a space of, uh, as a sanctuary, I would say. Matthew Walker also has a master class, and he said that he used to think that it was nutrition, exercise, and sleep are the three pillars of health. And he said, no, sleep is the foundation on which uh, nutrition and exercise sit. That makes so much sense. Okay, this takes us to my last and favorite question. So Nadine, can you tell me what brings you happiness? Family, food, and my work. Concise, well said. I can feel the intention. (laughs) Uh, Any specific foods? Any specific foods? I just like to eat. And that's something that I've had to, I was talking to a friend yesterday and I was talking about my weight woes and she was commiserating and she said, well, have you tried fasting? And, you know, and I mean, you know what, this is my life and I, I like to eat. I, I know that I'm going to have to moderate certain things. You know, I have been sheltering in place for over a year. It's getting better now, but You know, I'm not going to like not stop liking to eat and I love to cook. So I am not going to adapt a fasting lifestyle. I'm just not. Uh, It's interesting because I love to eat and I love to cook. I really, really love to cook and I cook pretty much everything from scratch. But I love fasting. It really suits mm. it really mm. suits my body. It suits mm. my metabolism. So after discussing it with a friend and I did it a few years ago, I'm now on the 8-16 intermittent fasting regime, which means that I don't have to control myself that much as long as okay. I eat within so that's an different. eight hour range. Yeah, yeah. So it's the way she was presenting it was like fast for a whole day and then the next I'm not doing it. Oh, I've that, done it but... for a whole week. Yeah. Mm-mm. No. No thanks. You know what? I swear to get it. Anyways, Nadine, thank you so much for the time that you gave me today. It was such a joy to spend some time with you and get to know you. And you very generously shared so much of your life with me and and our listeners. So where can they meet you, listen to you, have access to you? Well, I'm very proud of my website. I'm always trying to improve it and make sure that it's an accurate representation of where I am in my journey, my offerings. So yogimd.net has all of my social links about me, interviews, information about the podcast. So you can go subscribe and or follow. It's changed now to whatever platform. I actually have the current ones embedded on the site too. And that's where you can find out about me. Amazing. Uh, I will put links to everything we talked about in the show notes. And thank you again. I hope I'll see you or that we'll keep in each other's sort of paths somehow, probably oh, in another Akimbo workshop. I, <laughs> <laughs> in one way or another, as a student or as a coach, yes. I have a feeling we're going to see each other. And maybe we should try to do a combined episode with Andrea one day. That would be so much fun. That would be really fun. She's pretty exceptional. 
She yeah. really is. Yeah. Another example of good people. I mean, for sure. What can I say? And this is, that's the other magical thing about Akimbo Land is all of these wonderful, you, Andrea, oh my goodness. Yeah, there are too many to name. I don't want to leave anybody out, but <laughs> I have made great, great, smart, well-intentioned, beautiful human friends in Akimbo Land. That's amazing. That's a beautiful thing to to leave everyone on. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you again soon. Thank you. Thanks again to Nadine for being my guest on the podcast today. You will find her online at yogimd.net and all other details will be included in the show notes. So check them out. So friends and listeners, thanks again for joining me. If you want to hear more, I suggest you go to your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. And if you fancy, leave us a review. We love to hear from you. If you want to connect, feel free to get in touch with me at Anvi on Twitter or on LinkedIn and at underscore out to the clouds on Instagram, where I also share guided meditations and other daily musings about mindfulness. The website is now live and you can find other projects of mine at anvmulitala.com. If you don't know how to spell it, that's normal. (laughs) It's also in the show notes. Sign up to receive email updates on all the fun things I'm doing. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll join us again. Until next time, be well, be safe, all that good stuff.